Welcome in to another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at J Goldberg 12. We are recording this Sunday morning ahead of the Blue Jays series finale against the Minnesota Twins as they look to win their third straight series. This team was uh, on a roll, Josh, winning eight in a row until, of course, they uh, lost to the Twins on uh, Friday nights. But uh, back at it on Saturdays, the bats exploded for uh, 12 runs, a 12-run game and an 11-run game in uh, about a week's time, Josh. The uh, offense is officially back. I think we can actually say that now. I think we can say it, yeah. We've seen enough. Um, of a sample here over almost two weeks where like sometimes, you know, you just have games where you take advantage of mistakes and and maybe you, you pop the hood on, on some stuff and the at-bats maybe aren't actually all that great. And you just victimized a, a poor pitching performance. That really hasn't been the case. I would say for the most part with the Jays, like the at-bats have been largely very good. There have been some blips here and there where you revert a little bit and you're rolling over pitches that you should be driving out, but they've been very good. And uh, I I said this last week, I think it was, or maybe two weeks ago when Teoscar was really slumping that he, to me is underratedly the most important hitter on this team or one of the most certainly important hitters on this team. It just feels like when he is having good at bats and when he's covering the plate and not expanding the zone and waving at breaking balls down and away and just being patient, it just seems like the lineup is more imposing and harder to pitch to. He just really brings it all together from that cleanup spot. And, and, you know, we both were on the train that you shouldn't, um, you know, abandon hope with Teoscar. He was going to find it, and he certainly has. He's been on fire over the last uh, week or, or 10 days, and he's just so important to this lineup. And uh, it's been particularly impressive that, like, Springer, Bo, and Vladdy have certainly had some some good moments over the last uh, 10 days. It's not like they're not hitting. But really, you could look at other players, like especially Alejandro Kirk, as the big catalyst for what has been going on here. And that should be very encouraging because, you know, like your your top dogs, even if they're not humming on all cylinders, they've all been very good during this stretch. They're going to have that supernova type stretch. Like Bo just had a great month of May. You know, Vladdy's hitting more home runs. You're going to see, I think, more of what we saw last year as, as the weather warms up. There's a lot to like right now. It's crazy how much things can change in, in Major League Baseball in the span of a couple of days. Like we were very concerned two weeks ago <laughs> uh, for good reason. And now it's not like you snap your fingers and just say, oh, well, this is a World Series team now. But they're closer resembling, I think, what we all expected to see. And, you know, maybe we should have all thought that that was inevitable, but it was looking, you know, dicey that they were just all of a sudden going to flip a switch as an entire unit, as a lineup, as a team. But that's basically what's happened. Yeah, and you look at this 9-1 and stretch that they've been on. They have been the best offense in baseball during that time, a 168 WRC plus, you know, just some of the individual numbers. Alejandro Kirk in these uh, in the last eight games he's played, 33 plate appearances. He's got a 319 WRC plus, which kind of matches the eye test. I mean, the guy's just hitting everything hard. He's hitting balls out. He's hitting doubles. He's been uh, worth one F war over this eight game stretch. Like that's how incredible 
he has been carrying this offense the majority of it. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Teoscar's heated up. Bobichet continues to do Bobichet things. Vladdy started to play well the last few games, at least as far as the slugging goes. We know Danny Jansen's been hot. You know, George Springer's had a homer here and there. So, you know, everybody uh, is clicking offensively as far as, you know, guys that get regular playing time. Heck, even Rymel Tapia is uh, hitting 320 over his uh, last nine games. So it's been really, really impressive. And I think what stands out, you know, even more for me with how well the offense is doing right now is sure. They're taking on some shitty pitchers. Uh, you know, we saw Dylan Bundy yesterday uh, get his doors blown off Jeez. and, you know, they've faced some, you know, not particularly good uh, starters, but mm-hmm. they face some pretty good ones as well. I mean, they face Shohei Otani and they beat the angels there. And then in the white Sox series, they pay, they faced three guys that were pretty damn good and they got to all of them. I mean, Luke yeah. Stiolito gave up six runs. Michael Kopech had arguably his worst start of the year and Johnny Cueto looked pretty good for a while. And then Teoscar got to him with that two run Homer. And next, you know, the blue Jays, you know, cruise to a victory. So, you know, you look at these 10 games, they've faced, you know, four five pretty good pitchers uh, over the stretch and for them to be doing what they're doing. I mean, it's really, really impressive. It really is. Yeah. I, 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 I echo that completely. And I, I thought, especially against Kopech, that was really encouraging because, you know, when you're not going at your best as a lineup, a pitcher like that, even if he isn't at his best, you know, you're, you're chasing your antsy and you're opening things up and maybe you're allowing him to find himself and giving him some easy outs. And they did not do that. The at-bats were really good. They, they forced him to throw a ton of pitches. They worked a lot of deep counts. And then, you know, when he made mistakes in the zone, they took advantage of them and, and made him pay for putting some base runners on. And that's what you need to do, right? You it can't just be, well, you're going up swinging out of your shoe tops, looking for homers, and that's the only way you're going to score. There have certainly been some some big blasts with men on base. You know, Danny Jansen hit a three-run homer uh, in that series. They've been doing more of that, which we saw last year, obviously, when they were just massacring home runs left, right, and center. But there have been more of the, uh, you know, old school type baseball fans will probably appreciate, you know, like stringing singles together, stringing base runners together, and then a double or something that cashes in a couple of runs. They've been doing it in a multitude of different ways. And that I think should be as encouraging as anything else is it's not just your one trick pony type of offense. They're kind of multifaceted right now where there's just not a lot. Uh, for opposing pitchers to do right they're they're not getting themselves out as they were for the first 40 plus games of the season they're making pitchers have to execute to get them out and you know when the margin for error for an opposing pitcher is shrunk the way that it is right now you're more likely to get some mistakes and the blue jays right now are timed up where they're seemingly taking advantage of all the mistakes they got yeah, it's huge. They, uh, unlike earlier this year, were never seemingly able to capitalize on any of these situations that were just handed over to them now. But I mean, you look at a game like yesterday and how many balls are just bouncing through the infield with men on base. And that was not happening, yeah. you know, two, three weeks ago. It's just finding gloves or, you know, weak contact. But now blooper, you saw, you know, George Springer take a swing yesterday and the ball didn't even make it to third base and it scored a run. It's like that never happened uh, earlier this year. Like the Blue Jays are getting a ton of bounces this year. It all evens out in the end. Uh, you know, there's going to be games where uh, it doesn't go your way, like we saw on uh, Friday night uh, in the series opener against the Twins. And then you have yesterday where it just seems like everything is uh, going for a hit for the Blue Jays. And uh, they just continue to roll. 
right now as they look for the uh, series finale win against the Twins uh, later today. I want to stick with Alejandro Kirk because uh, he has been the big story uh, about this Blue Jays team, I would say, uh, over the last couple of weeks here, just with how good he has looked. He looked completely terrible at the beginning of the season. There was no pop. There was no authority uh, with his bat just seemed like every ball he hit was, you know, a slow grounder, grounding into a double play. He was getting jammed a lot. These little flares that were ending up in gloves. Now the guy looks like Mike Trout. Like he is just smashing everything, barreling up everything. Uh, the numbers this year just jump off the page. 45 games, uh, 142 WRC plus, which is uh, pretty insane uh, for a guy like him. Uh, 12% walk rate, 8.9% K rate, which is actually down from where it was uh, last year, down historically from what he's done in his career. And I'll be honest, I was on the trade Alejandro Kirk train for a while. I was Mm -hmm. there preseason, obviously, when there were rumors surfacing about Jose Ramirez and some other guys. And I thought, well, he's going to be one of your bigger trade chips. You got Moreno coming. I believe in Danny Jansen. You know, Kirk is a guy that probably has a lot of value around the league. And now I'm at a stage where... I, I don't even know like who you could trade him for yeah. that would make you feel good about it because, you know, he's not, I, I wouldn't say he's not good enough to be a part of a package to get a superstar. Like obviously he is. Um, but I mean, which superstars are going to be available? Like we basically did not even address the Juan Soto stuff when it came out a few weeks yeah. ago, but like, other than that, you're not trading him for a bullpen piece. Uh, like, you know, no offense to your boy, David uh, Bedner. No, I'm no. not trading Alejandro Kirk, who is playing not. four or five times a week and hitting like the best catcher in baseball for a guy that's going to pitch two, three times a week. Like that's, uh, that's not, you know, a way to optimize this roster. Are you trading him for an Andrew Benintendi? No, no. Even, you know, I was looking at um, Jeff Passon's piece where he said Benintendi, Barlow, and Josh uh, Stomont as a potential package. I mean, uh, would you give Alejandro Kirk up for that? No. no probably not. I mean, Benintendi is a free agent at the end of this year. Stomont and uh, Barlow are good relievers, but they're not, you know, back end of the bullpen guys. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, maybe there is a trade to be made down the line uh, with that involves Alejandro Kirk, but right now, he's worth more to you than he is to another team to try to optimize your roster. Well, there's been this, I don't know if it's, it's recently, or you could say this about any fan base, but anytime, especially these catchers, like Jansen hits a home run, Kirk hits a home run. Like I'm checking my mentions and it's all, well, what, what could you get in a trade? Why, why are we always immediately trading a guy after he has a good performance? I understand, you know, Gabby Moreno is down there doing his thing you'd still like to see more power, but even if you determine that Gabby Moreno is ready to go, that doesn't mean that you should trade Jansen or Kirk. You can find a way to play those three guys if need be. Like that's a good problem to have. You don't force square peg into a round hole just because you feel like, oh, well, we got to maximize our value. Kirk Jansen are still going to be valuable to other teams in the off season. Like to me, this is more of a situation where it's realistic to make a deal in the off season. You're not messing with this tandem in season. It just doesn't make much sense. Like, would you trade Kirk for, I think the Jays could probably use a starting pitcher. Now I'm sure we'll get to Ryu Frankie Montas or Luis Castillo who have another year of control beyond this season. Maybe, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily something 
that uh, that I would feel all that comfortable about because like right now the dynamic with Jansen and Kirk is great. They complement each other. You're always covered with a catcher who can do a pretty decent job defensive, defensively and obviously hit better than most catchers in Major League Baseball. And then if you trade them, then you're bringing Moreno up most likely. And that's an awful lot to put on a, on a young kid to come in probably in a pennant race and expect him to handle himself with a plum like Jansen or Kirk, if one of those guys were to go, I don't know if that's necessarily a situation that I would feel all that comfortable, comfortable about considering the magnitude and importance of this season. So realistically, I think we can probably both agree some of the trade options right now just aren't all that likely as good fits for a Kirk or a Jansen trade in season. And if it is something that you're going to do, and I don't think it necessarily is some lock that one of those guys is destined to be traded. It's more likely to happen, you know, in December, January than it is in June or July. Yeah. Just, it doesn't make sense to move a guy who's been your second best hitter this season behind George Springer. When you look at the numbers, a 142 WRC plus, like why would you trade that guy now to, you know, bring in another piece? Uh, it doesn't seem to really make sense. Now he's not going to put up one F four every eight games. Like that's obviously uh, not going to happen, but it just shows you the impact that he can have uh, on a team, on an offense. And, you know, I don't know if this is a great comparison because it's, it is sort of apples and oranges, but, you know, last year everybody was clamoring for, you know, Michael Brantley. This team needs a Michael Brantley type hitter. And he's kind of that from the right side, right? He doesn't strike out uh, at all. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't walk a ton. He walks enough, obviously, but bad on ball skills. Uh, he's never going to run out a double play, but he's a guy that we see can spray it around the field. How many, you know, shots to right field driving in a run did we see in that angel series? And obviously, you know, against the white Sox and the series against the twins, he's pulling it over the fence in left field. Like he has just become an elite hitter, uh, not even just for a catcher. Like he's become an elite elite hitter in uh, major league baseball. And maybe, it is just a hot stretch that could very well be the case. But again, this guy's been doing it his entire pro career. Like, you know, you look at the minor league numbers, this is what he does. It's like not out of the norm where we're not seeing some sort of, you know, outlier thing from Alejandro Kirk um, at the major league level. It is, of course, like he had his nine game sample in 2020 and he hit everything at that point. But this is different. Um, what we're seeing right now from Alejandro Kirk on this uh, hot streak. So uh, do not trade. Kirk, keep him in the lineup, play him as much as you can. This lineup uh, definitely needs him at this point. Uh, another hitter that has uh, found some signs of life, and I will say as well, I'm shocked that uh, Kevin Biggio has uh, been on a bit of a roll here, Josh, since uh, coming back up to the major leagues and playing with the Blue Jays. He had a nice double yesterday, had a big hit. Uh, the other game uh, in the White Sox series, in the series finale, like, you know, he has – Found a little something here. And, you know, as opposed to Kirk, I feel a little bit more like it's uh, probably a hot streak for Kevin Biggio than it is him, you know, finding his 2019 and uh, 2020 form. But got to give him credit where credit is due. A 168 uh, WRC plus over his last 28 plate appearances. He's slashing 286, 464, 429, walking 25% of the time. So doing Cavan Biggio things. Are you buying? Are you selling? Is this legit what we're seeing right now from Cavan Biggio? Uh, I, I'm probably with you more inclined to sell than buy. I, I might also just say I'll hold it and, and hope for the best. Like you look over his last seven games, he's got six walks. He still struck out six times and he still looks at too many 
you know, full count two two situations where there's a pitch to hit and he looks at it and, and goes down, but it reached base four times on Saturday against the twins. That's what you come to expect a, a little bit, or certainly hope for from him is that he shows that patience. And when he does identify a good pitch to hit, he does some damage with it. And you'd like to see him mix in a home run, but the fact that he's had a couple of hits, like he's six for his last 18, there was a point earlier in the season before he went on the COVID IL where it was just like, how is this guy even going to get on base outside of a walk? He, how is he going to do anything? How can he find even a hole for a base hit? And he's driven the ball with a bit more conviction. I don't think his role is going to change much because Espinal is just entrenched as the second baseman. He'd have to go on an unbelievable cold streak and BGO would have to continue playing pretty well, I think, to cut into his playing time. But I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world to have Kevin Biggio as a bench bat, you know, who can mix in here and there at a variety of different positions, first, second, obviously outfield, and and give you decent at bats in the bottom third of the lineup. I think that's sort of what we envisioned coming into the season is that is what he would do in the bottom third, just put pressure on opposing pitchers and do his best to turn the lineup over for the big guns at the top of the order. And over the last seven games, week, 10 days or so, he's been doing that more often. And obviously you just have to hope that it continues because it would be a real boost to this Blue Jays lineup. Yeah, and it was encouraging to see him hit a high fastball yesterday uh, for a double. Now, it was 90 miles an hour uh, from Dylan Bundy, so it wasn't exactly you know high heat uh, in that scenario, but uh, that's been the book on him for a while now, that it's tough for him to hit major league fastballs that are in the zone. And, uh, you know, even in that game against the White Sox, I was stunned that he got a breaking ball in that spot uh, in a 3-2 count. I thought, oh, Jesus, I think it was Reynaldo Lopez. I'm like, this guy throws 97. Like, why are you throwing Kevin Biggio, you know, flipping him a curveball up there trying to get him out? And uh, Biggio took advantage of it. So, you know, uh, like I said, you got to give the guy his due. He's come back up and he's uh, done a lot of the things that he has done previously has helped the Blue Jays win some games here. So um, if he can be, you know, that back end of the bench guy and just come in and, you know, fill in in these utility spots and that in the bottom of the order, give them some on base, give them the occasional double, um, you know, give them the occasional home run that we've seen in the past. That's great. That's all I think people are asking for at this point from Kevin Biggio. I, I think, you know, very few and far between are the people that think he can still be an everyday regular you know, be a part of the core. Like, I don't think that's uh, the case uh, moving forward anymore for him. But uh, if he can just do what he's doing right now, uh, even if it's just a, a little bit less, like I, I am totally fine with having him uh, on the team. I'd rather have him than uh, Bradley Zimmer, who yeah. I get why they tried it. And I get why he's still on the team because they want a legit, you know, center field replacement for when George Springer is either, you know, sick or when he's just taking a day off or, you know, knock on wood uh, when he gets injured. But I think I'm at the point now. And I know he did get hosed on a call yesterday by Angel Hernandez and mm -hmm. a, a strike three that was not even close to the zone. But you look at the numbers now, uh, you look at his F war, he's minus 0.3. The defense has been fine, but the bat has been so bad that, you know, even the defense can't even make up for his value at this point. He's striking out 41% of the time. I'm sorry, but you tell, you're telling me you can't find anyone that can play a decent center field that can give you something remotely close to uh, league average uh, hitting. Like, you know, Rymel Tapia 
has started to heat up at this point. And I, you know, I like the fact that he's on the team. He does stuff that a lot of other guys on this team don't can go first to third can score, uh, you know, can run the bases like a madman can obviously run into one as we've seen of late. Like he has some utility. Uh, like he's not a great hitter, but he has utility. Bradley Zimmer is just a glove first guy that is, you know, I guess he can drop down a bunt. Uh, we've seen that. Uh, he can drop you down a bunt single. Maybe he should just try to do that uh, every time. He might reach base, you know, more than, uh, you know, 19% of the time. But, you know, I'm sort of at the point. I think, you know, you probably should find a replacement if you can, uh, whether it's internally. I don't think you need to make a trade to bring in a backup center fielder. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's weird to say because the Blue Jays are just winning uh, at a crazy clip right now. And I'm picking on the guy who's, you know, at the back end of the roster, but I, I just feel like I needed to get that off my chest. I've, I've seen enough, Josh. I'm, I'm tired of it. No, that's totally fair. I, I would say that um, as far as internal replacements go, Nathan Lucas is probably the one that comes to mind. I, I think he had an inside the park home run uh, on Saturday or Friday uh, for the Bisons. Like, there's not, he's not jumping off the page, but there's some, some speed there and, and some ability to play all the outfield positions and some on base skills, at least at triple a, you could do a lot worse. I, I agree with you that um, you're not making some hasty trade for a fifth outfielder. Cause that's what it is. Uh, Tapia is your fourth outfielder. Are you really that like in terms of longevity, are you ca carrying five outfielders for the duration of the season? Perhaps, but I, I think that you, this thing might correct itself in short order and you might end up rolling with four outfielders. It's not ideal. Like Tapia is not necessarily somebody who I would feel all that great about as your primary backup center fielder. I don't think he's like a liability out there or anything, but that's not necessarily his sweet spot. He's more of a corner outfield uh, option. Primarily, I would say his best spot is in left. He can play right and center in a pinch, but I, I don't think that you want him being exposed there. And that's why they're continuing to carry Zimmer, like you said. Like, it's not the worst situation in the world, but if you could find a way to at least give somebody a chance who might have some more upside, and I, I go back to Lucas, I think that that is probably the right course of action. And we've seen all we probably need to see uh, from Bradley Zimmer. Yeah. I, like I said, I get why they tried it. They obviously have a familiarity with him from his days in uh, Cleveland does this front office. And he's a guy that has tantalizing tools can obviously go get it uh, in the outfield. And, you know, I've, they've obviously tried to make some adjustments with him uh, looking at his batting stance. Now it's different than it was, I think even earlier this season and obviously in his previous days with Cleveland. So um, the coaching staff is trying to work on some things for him. Um, but, you know, unlike Rymel Tapia, who is actually doing something right now during this winning streak, we just really haven't seen it from Bradley Zimmer, um, you know, in his short time with the Blue Jays. So again, uh, it's not like Bradley Zimmer is a, a huge make or break with this team. I just wonder if, you know, you could better optimize this team with, you know, maybe another right-handed bat uh, off the bench um and someone that you can trust in a situation where you do need a pinch hitter uh you great it'd be great to have someone that could play another outfield spot but uh it is not the end of the world i just need to uh, get a little bit of a rant going there uh one guy that has uh, turned things around at least for one start he was sort of the star of the show yesterday in the game josh despite the team scoring 12 runs but jose barrios having uh, easily his best start of the season albeit against his former team the Minnesota Twins, uh, now a couple of starts, I think, uh, against the Twins, and Brios is just shoved against his old squad. And 
I tweeted it yesterday. Like, how do you go from not striking out anyone to striking out everyone? 13 Ks, a career high for Barrios in this one. And uh, you look at some of the numbers from him yesterday. 45% whiffs on his pitches, a 39% called strike whiff percentage. Like these are numbers that we normally associate with Jose Brios. Not the 13 Ks, but a guy that isn't going out there and just giving up contact after contact. The four-seamer, still not great. Get, no. Got zero whiffs on it yesterday, but he got eight uh, eight whiffs on his sinker. The curveball looked a lot better, probably the best it's looked all season long, was working in a changeup as well. So, you know, the changes, the adjustments that he and P. Walker made, it at least paid off for, for one game. And, you know, last week I said my concern level was at an eight. Uh, maybe we can dial it back down a little bit to maybe a, a five or a six. We obviously still need to see more moving forward, but I think that was a great sign yesterday to see that uh, everything is back. I mean, the dead arm he was dealing with a little bit, I guess, according to Charlie Montoyo, and he's obviously able to make the start yesterday and looked great. So it doesn't seem to be a concern uh, moving forward here, but uh, that was about as encouraging of a start as he could have had. Yeah, as encouraging as anything, his velocity was back up after, you know, we talked about it after last Sunday's start in Anaheim, the Vila was down almost two miles an hour. And then you hear that he's dealing with a bit of dead arm phase and he's had that before. And he talked about, you know, changing up his diet before the start and and eating some healthier foods that can help the recovery. You know, I, I think that I don't know how much of a difference that makes, but he clearly was mindful of trying to feel as as good as he possibly could going into the start. Definitely very, very encouraging and exciting. One start, uh, you know, I can't completely just absolve him of the fact that he's largely been terrible this season, but he missed so many bats. It was definitely very, very encouraging. The Polanco homer, well, I didn't even think was that bad of a pitch. A lot of hitters might roll that one over, and Polanco's a good hitter, and he drove it out. The four-seamer, the fastball is still concerning because uh, like if you're not going to have that as, as much of a weapon, you have to be really sharp with the rest of your stuff. And, and thankfully he was, especially with the sinker that allowed the slurve, if you want to call it the slider curve to be great. And his changeup was also very good. Um, he still gave up some hard contact early on. Like there was in the first two innings, I think there were three balls with an exit velocity of a hundred plus miles an hour, but then he completely settled it down. He's had some good moments this year, but he really hasn't been able to back up much in the way of a good start. Like even early in the season, he had some starts against Boston where the results in the end were good. But if you watch those games, you know that he was very fortunate yesterday. That was not the case. Like he, he deserved uh, the fate that he got. He was excellent, but he's got to continue doing that uh, going forward. You know, the twins were without Correa. They were without Kepler. You do have to take that somewhat into consideration. I still will give him full marks because it was an excellent start. I hope that he does find it because this Jays rotation really needs him to be good, especially I know, say what you want about Ryu. That's still somebody who can take the ball, generally speaking, every fifth day when he's healthy and give you a chance to win. And now you have to, you know, figure out if Ross Stripling can do so. If Barrios isn't good and Kikuchi's inconsistent, then you're really only looking at Manoa and Gosman as constants in the rotation. And in the AL East, that's a difficult spot to be, especially with the way that the Yankees are pitching. So if Barrios can back that up and find some consistency going forward, it's going to be huge, not only for him, obviously, but for the club.
Yeah, it makes such a big difference when this rotation is four strong as opposed to three strong. And, you know, I guess if you even look over this past week with uh, how things went for Yusei Kikuchi, uh, you know, obviously a little bit uh, up in the air with uh, that recent performance. But when you've got Barrios, Gosman, Manoa and Kikuchi all rolling, you feel great. And uh, Ross Stripling, uh, we'll get to him later, obviously is a a big, big bonus. But uh, yeah, Jose Barrios getting back on track, at least for one start, gives you a lot of optimism moving forward here that he's figured something out. And uh, hopefully that trends uh, can continue. As far as Hunjin Ryu did make the starts uh, last week against the Chicago White Sox, went four innings, gave up two earned runs, gave up a pair of homers, did strike out four, ended up leaving the ball game with uh, once again some forearm elbow inflammation. And uh, looks like he might be gone for a bit here, Josh. Uh, it's not particularly great uh, with him going back uh, on the aisle here. And, you know, it's great that he was trying to gut it out, came back for three starts and uh, four starts, I should say, and looked pretty decent at times. Uh, had a nice one against the Reds. They are the Reds. Looked good against the Angels, which was nice to see. Um, at this stage, it's pretty clear he's at best a five and dive guy. Piggyback him with Ross Stripling when you can. But, you know, if we're looking forward here and we're looking at some internal options uh, aside from, you know, Ross Stripling, I mean, what can the Blue Jays potentially do here to try to, you know, fill in that spot? Because, you know, Ross Stripling is only built up to a certain extent. He's not a guy that can give you six innings at this point. Uh, he's still only, a, you know, a multi-inning guy. Um, but who are you looking at to potentially hop in here and uh, maybe pick up some of the slack? It's not uh, an overflowing wealth of options. Like I've seen some some tweets. Oh, well, call Ricky Tiedemann up. He's 19 years old. Let's just, and like trying to make Manoa comparisons. Manoa's 23. Ricky Tiedemann's 19. Like it's apples and oranges. Let's not even go there. Let the kid cook down in the minors and and, and develop organically. Like, are you really Casey Lawrence? You know, Thomas Hatch, I guess, is intriguing. Maybe. I think we've seen all we need to see realistically from Anthony K. That's not a realistic option in terms of giving you a chance to win. If he's starting or pitching three innings, there's really not much. I, I, I would say it's uh, not a great position. Like you really took a bite out of your depth and, and just your quality without Ryu around. And it puts a lot on stripling. Maybe he builds himself up. He can give you 90 pitches every time, five, five or so innings. And that's pretty solid for a fifth starter. But I think it, it just highlights the fact that starting pitching is now a need for this ball club. As we get closer to the deadline, I I'm not counting on uh, Hyunjin Ryu throwing another pitch for the blue Jays this year. If he does, that's great. But you know, we're into June. They're talking about multiple weeks and he's probably going to have to begin a throwing program. And that's assuming that everything goes swimmingly in terms of his recovery. And you know, with these types of injuries, it's never, uh, a linear progression. There are going to be some bumps in the road, or it could just be a complete derailment and he needs to undergo a surgery. And then, you know, we're talking about maybe he doesn't throw another pitch as a blue Jay going into the final year of his deal next year. So I think a trade is uh, going to be ne- necessary and it might not be quite as important as a bullpen piece or a, another bat, preferably a lefty, but it's not far behind because uh, you know, injuries always happen. Knock on wood, Hopefully nothing else happens in the rotation, but you want to be as prepared as possible with as many quality options as you can in the event that something unfortunate does happen, like some sort of injury. 
Yeah, obviously Nate Pearson, uh, whatever the role he has with this team will uh, factor in whether they see him as a multi-inning reliever, whether they see him as a one-inning guy, whether he can piggyback with Russ Stripling every five days and, you know, you go with that tandem, that could be intriguing, of course. But, you know, from looking at starting pitching options out there, you touched on some of them earlier, uh, guy, whether it's a guy like Frankie Montas, Luis Castillo, you know, even Tyler Maley from, from the Reds, like there are some, you know, options out there. Those are more of the, you know, swing for the fences type of guys. Those are your higher end pitchers. I'm not sure the Blue Jays necessarily need to go out and get a stud to, to fill that final spot uh, in, in the rotation. I mean, maybe, maybe they do, maybe you say Kikuchi comes back down to earth like he did uh, in his last start. And then you're kind of looking for, you know, a mid rotation guy, uh, instead, but yeah, the internal options aren't great. Uh, you know, some of the options down in AAA don't exactly blow your socks off, but you know, it does seem like at this stage, it would do the Blue Jays well to go out and pick up another starter. I think it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, what type of level it's going to be. Do they want to get in a horse and bring in a guy that, you know, has some uh, sex appeal and is uh, an all-star caliber type of guy, or are you dumpster diving and trying to bring in, you know, someone that can go out there and just be reliable every five days? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably more the latter. You never know. Maybe you do go shopping in the, uh, the organic butcher <laughs> shop uh, of, of trade targets for pitchers. But the name that I kind of go back to, and I don't know how you feel about it, I don't know how our oh listeners boy. would feel about it, is Jose Quintana is a, is a possible option. I don't think he's going to cost much. He's on, on a cheap one-year deal. I don't think he's particularly good. You look at some of his uh, expected numbers, his uh, baseball savant page, there's a fair bit of blue. There is some red. He's inducing a ton of soft contact, but he doesn't miss that many bats. Lefty pitching in the American League East. I don't know if that would necessarily, we see, we've seen that a little bit with Ryu. There are going to, there would be some bumps in the road, but I think you could do a lot worse considering it won't cost you all that much. Maybe you do go and get a Montas or a Castillo or something like that, but they made that deal last year with Jose Brios where they traded a, some serious prospect capital for a pitcher with two pennant runs, I guess you could say, of control left. And that's what Montes and Castillo have. Are they going to do that again? Maybe it is the time where you just continue pushing the chips into the middle of the table. But I'm inclined to believe that they might go a little lower profile if they do identify starting pitching as something that they need to address. Honestly, like I was thinking about it when I was watching them uh, over the last week in the series against the White Sox. But if their season continues to go to shit, uh, the White Sox, I mean... I wouldn't mind, you know, Johnny Cueto. No, Give me that goofy I. fucking shit and yeah, him just messing with people's timing. Like, he's not going to cost you a ton, obviously. Yeah. Being in his uh, mid-30s is only on uh, the last year of his deal here. Like, I mean, you know, he's a guy that is, you know, has been injury prone the last couple of years. He's older, but he's having a good season. And, you know, that goofy shit just plays like it, it does. does. The, yeah. the timing messes with hitters a lot. And he could be even just for shits and giggles. Like, I think it'd be hilarious to have him uh, on the team, especially the history that he's had when he was with the Royals. And there was chanting Cueto, Cueto, Cueto at Rogers Center. Like, I think it'd be kind of hilarious to see him become all of a sudden a fan favorite 
uh, with what he does on the mound. I think he'd be a quite an enjoyable character, quite a, a fan fave uh, if that is the case. But uh, yeah, we'll talk a lot as the next weeks progress here about some trade targets when it comes to the starting rotation. Quickly, did want to get to one deal the Blue Jays made, and that, of course, was Ryan Barucki being dealt to Seattle for first baseman Tyler Keenan Barucki, of course, was designated for assignments, and uh, the Blue Jays were able to find a deal with the Seattle Mariners. And uh, Keenan, a fourth-round pick from a couple of years ago, a burly first baseman, to say the oh, least. Yeah. I think he's Big like 6'4", 250. Yeah. Doesn't have a ton of pop, uh, you would think so, for a guy of his stature. Uh, four doubles, three homers in uh, high A uh, Everett this season in 25 games for the uh, 23-year-old. But uh, a quick thought on uh, Ryan Barucki, who is now trying to uh, find his footing on the West Coast. Wish him the best. Hope he finds it. It was really rough the last two years, especially this year. He had some moments in 2020. I do think that there is a quality arm in there. Just like Rowdy Telez. Sometimes you just need a change of scenery and, you know, Jays fans might say, well, you know, you sold low on a guy. He could come end up coming back to bite you in the ass. And why would you make that trade? We can play that game all day. Like they did Ryan Barucki a solid, I believe his wife is from Vancouver and close, close to that area in Seattle. I think just a good opportunity for him to build himself back up. And it wasn't going to happen here. They gave him every opportunity. It didn't work out. Wish him the best. Yep, all the best to Ryan Barucki and his uh, future endeavors with the Seattle Mariners. Of course, the, the Blue Jays always uh, head out there. Maybe he'll uh, pitch against them at some point uh, and in front of that rowdy crowd that always comes down from north of the border. Time to get to the listener questions. As always, you can hit us up on Twitter at DFA underscore pod on our personal accounts, Rob Wong 34 and Jay Goldberg 12. Graham asks who is the most expendable prospect pitcher and what do you think it would take to land an Ian Happ or Andrew Benintendi I can tell you who's not being traded uh, and that's guys like Ricky Tiedemann guys like uh, Yosfer Sululeta uh, maybe an Adrian Hernandez who's an intriguing bullpen piece like I, I think there are some guys that have a lot of helium within the Blue Jays system right now that they are not interested in moving I mean uh, Ricky Tiedemann I saw a tweet uh, earlier today I wish I still had it up, but it was basically talking about how dominant he has been um, at uh, high A since he moved to Vancouver. He's like four years younger than the league average, and he has a 0.61 ERA. Like he has just been absolutely electric. And maybe that's part of, you know, he's a new face and guys haven't seen him before. And he has kind of like a funky delivery and obviously throws 96, 97 miles an hour. Like the stuff is legit. But, you know, for a guy that, uh, you know, doesn't have a ton of experience and is still so young, like he's just lighting up right now. So um, he's not moving. I think some of the other guys that I mentioned aren't moving. Is there anyone that stands out to you uh, when you look at the Blue Jays prospect system that, you know, as far as pitchers go, you would be comfortable, you know, seeing those guys out the door for a, a bigger piece, whether it's an Ian Happ or Andrew Benintendi? Well, anyone who has listened to our podcast or, you know, in programs in the past or follows me on Twitter knows that I am team trade prospects all the way. If you feel as though your team is close to contending or is contending and, and you think a deal can make you better and prospects are the cost, you trade them all day, every day. If you identify the right fit, any prospect to me should be available. I think considering the players who are likely to be on the trade market, the top tier of pitching prospects are probably not going to be uh, on the move and I'm okay not trading them. 
like would I trade, uh, you know, CJ Van Eck or somebody like that? If it meant getting a Luis Castillo, you bet your ass. I would mm-hmm. absolutely all day, every day, twice on Sunday. But you looked further down the list, you know, somebody like a Trent Palmer, who's 23 years old. I know that he's had some success at double A this year. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted out a mock trade for David Bednar and I had Jays fans calling me an idiot and I had Pirates fans calling me a moron also. So, you know, you know, you can't please everyone or anyone uh, most of the time. Like really Chad Dallas is further down. Joey Murray's a little bit older. Yeah. You know, guys like that. Uh, Hayden Younger, guy, really anyone. If you feel as though it, it it can get the job done and makes your team better, I'm not going to stand in the way, and I'm going to encourage those types of trades because, like prospects, may one day end up helping you, but it's incumbent on your front office to identify the ones that they think will, in fact, be impact major league players and then the other and then trade the ones that might be but you feel as though a certain player can help you right now and maybe somewhat into the future as opposed to waiting on something that may never materialize i'm always going to endorse getting the tangible player sooner as opposed to hoping that a pseudo lottery ticket is going to hit Yeah, and I think last year was an example of where the Blue Jays identified some guys in their system that, you know, at first glance, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, and uh, myself included, kind of was like, what the hell is going on here when they traded both Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin for Jose Barrios. But, you know, even if putting aside, you know, what has happened since, uh, whether it's to Barrios or whether it's to both of, you know, Austin Martin and Woods Richardson, Woods Richardson is having an okay season in double A. Austin Martin continues to not hit for any power and, you know, whatever. Uh, But the Blue Jays were like, yeah, we don't know if these guys really have a spot for us moving forward. And we get a chance to get uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like we need to do that. And they were like, we don't care that, you know, these guys are ranked one and two in our system by a lot of people. And people are going to be upset. They were able to identify a guy that they wanted and that was the price they had to pay and they were totally fine with it. Um, You know, good for them that uh, Woods Richardson and Martin at least haven't, you know, come back to bite them in the butt. No one's saying Austin Martin is all of a sudden, you know, a superstar prospect and same with Woods Richardson and maybe they become solid major league players and, you know, all the best to them. Um, But, you know, that's what you're trying to do. You're looking at guys in your system that you feel that, uh, you know, not that they're going to underperform. I don't think any GM goes out there saying like, Oh, let's give them all our shitty guys. Um, You know, you're going to have to pay a price depending on the player, but you're obviously going to pick guys that you, maybe think you know don't have a place in your organization compared to some other guys so that's why you know I said a guy like Ricky Tiedemann I think it's pretty clear that the Blue Jays feel like this guy has a future with the team I would be surprised if they moved him but you know uh, CJ Van Eyck as you touched on or uh, Adam Kloffenstein or a Sam Roberts like you know, those guys might be expendable um, because you have a guy like, you know, Tiedemann coming up through the system. And I think that was part of why the Blue Jays felt comfortable moving out some of the pitchers that they did mm-hmm. uh, last year, because they knew uh, they had a feeling that this guy could come um, pretty quickly. He's already at high A uh, at 19 years old. So it's really hard to you know say 
um, who the Blue Jays would be giving up. But, you know, with those two guys that, um, you know, he mentioned, whether it's uh, Andrew Benintendi or Ian Happ, Benintendi, as we talked about, is uh, in the final year's deal. Uh, I don't know what it is Happ's uh, constra- uh, contractual situation. Um, he's got some control left. He's got some control left. So you're obviously, yeah, he's got a couple of years control. So you're obviously going to pay a little bit more to be able to bring in a guy um, like him. So it just really depends on what type of player, how much control they have that you're, you're trying to land as far as, you know, who you're going to be giving up. And, you know, the Blue Jays, have a lot of swing and miss uh, pitchers down in the minors right now. So I'm sure there's a lot of teams, uh, you know, taking a look at a lot of their uh, games down in the minors to scout these guys. And um, obviously teams do such a good job these days of knowing other organizations inside and out. So you're not really sneaking anyone by teams at this point. Um, But yeah, I think it just comes down to what type of guy you're targeting and that will uh, ultimately define the cost that you have to pay. Yeah. And uh, prospect hoarding is, I, I just don't, I don't get it because like, it's just not all of your prospects are going to materialize this thought that, well, if you trade one, you know, you're, you're trading a future major league star. It's just not the way that it works. Like what percentage of your top tier prospects end up being major league level talents? Like not that high of a percentage. A lot of guys flame out. It's very hard to number one, make it to the majors. And then number two, actually be somebody who can be consistent and stick around and be good. So I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a broken record when it comes to trading prospects and the Jays are absolutely 100% a team that should be buying and will be buying. Like no matter what you want to say about how they've played, they're going to make the playoffs considering the expanded format. Maybe they end up putting pressure on the Yankees, even though the Yankees look unbeatable it's absurd like matt carpenter is now hitting home runs for that team it's fucking ridiculous but like you look at the rest of the american league it stinks like there are a lot of underachieving teams jay should cruise at very at the very least to a wild card spot so you buy and you know what you need to do to buy you trade prospects and they're going to be trading some prospects here in the next couple of months and it just is what it is and you know hopefully they don't end up coming back to haunt you but you can't live in that world you just gotta trust your process trust your instincts make the deals that you think are the best ones for you yeah absolutely flags fly forever that's what the blue jays are trying to accomplish right now this year they're trying to win the world series they're not uh, concerned necessarily about what's going to happen five years down the road with some of these prospects uh, garth asks uh, who is the most underrated blue jay this season and why is it ross stripling who uh, sneaky sneakily has had a really good season josh uh, has you know always been sort of one of my favorites under the mm-hmm. radar guys i know uh, there's a lot of people that don't love uh, ross stripling because you look at you know the numbers overall last year uh, put up a 4.8 era the year before when he came over to the blue jays had an era over six this year it's at four Two, two, which is obviously you know just fine for uh, a guy like him but the era predictors uh, are in yeah. the threes are, mm-hmm. are a lot better uh, i made the point on twitter uh, just looking at some of the numbers the changeup has been a really big weapon for him uh, this year he's been getting a ton of whiffs he's been throwing it a lot more um, this year as well so you know it's a nice little uh, addition to his uh, repertoire but you know he you know fills a role on this team comes in can uh, give you multi innings can be a piggyback starter can actually open for you from time to time like there's use for for guys like this on every major league roster and you know Ross Stripling is is a pretty solid candidate as far as uh, under the radar guys uh, as far as you know some other players that stand out uh 
it's hard to say. I mean, like Adam Simber is not really an under the radar guy. I think people appreciate what he does, but since coming over the Blue Jays, like he has been um, a sensational piece in the bullpen. Uh, I think, you know, if we're looking, you know, at another bullpen guy, I know you love him, David Phelps. Uh, I yeah. think it really stands out to me. Like, where would this bullpen be uh, without him? A guy that comes in, throws strikes, gets outs. Uh, it's a little a bit surprising that he doesn't get more, um, you know, higher leverage opportunities because he is so um, consistent. But maybe the Blue Jays feel like his stuff maybe doesn't play as well at this point of his career against, uh, you know, the heart of the lineup in big spots. Uh, but David Phelps, I think if uh, we're looking at an under the radar piece, a guy that's uh, been unheralded this year, I'll go with him. Absolutely. David Phelps has not given up a homer as a Blue Jay. I know that he only threw like 11 and change or 10 and change innings before that really brutal lad injury. Like I think it was uh, Arden Swelling has said that uh, it was like a pretty intense surgery that he had, like uh, almost unprecedented, rare lat type surgery. And you, ne- you never know how you're going to recover. And he has been excellent again this year. Yeah, you'd like him to miss a few more bats. The K per nine has really decreased it's just a shade over eight and last year it was over 13 but he's got a 225 era he's already been worth almost half a win according to fan graphs he's been excellent and i i said coming into the season that he was a real x factor for the bullpen it hasn't looked the way that i thought it would again i go back to the lack of swing and miss and you could say that really plagues the blue jays bullpen but he's found a way to be effective I agree with you. I I would expect or I'm surprised that there hasn't been more leverage spots. We saw him close out a game against the Angels, but then we also saw Julian Merriweather used over him in a leverage spot. So I'm not really sure how to explain that, but he has been great. That's the kind of move that really pays dividends where it's, you know, a minor league type deal. And then he earns his way onto the roster coming off of an injury and ends up emerging as a key to your bullpen. And he would be probably... Uh, like stripling, same thing, I think is is a valuable piece and doesn't get talked about much. I think David Phelps is the number one unheralded player on this entire roster. Yeah, the only downside to David Phelps is that uh, he takes about an hour to throw a pitch. Yes, he does. And <laughs> with the pitch clock next year, might be a bit of an issue for David yeah. Phelps uh, if uh, he you know needs to hurry up his delivery a little bit. But uh, it works. Uh, he can take as long as he wants, as long as he's you know getting outs for this Blue Jays team. Final question this week from uh, our buddy Clark. Are the Pirates ripe for the picking for a Blue Jays trade? Your boy David Bednar, Jose Quintana, Ben Gamble, etc. Uh, all seem like they could be great fits for the team you know there's a couple of ball clubs that you know really stand out uh for trade targets the pirates of course are one you already talked about quintana you've talked a lot about david bednar uh the royals jump off the page with some of their relievers and andrew benintendi who just would seemingly be great fit for uh this blue jays team um you look of course at the terrible cincinnati reds they've got a bunch of guys that could be of interest so it's, it's easy to look at this uh, situation now around Major League Baseball and that these are the teams that you identify. But, you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline, there's going to be some teams, I think, that unexpectedly fall out of the race. There's going to be some teams that, you know, get back into the race. So maybe their situation changes. But uh, as it stands right now, whether it's the, the Royals, the uh, Pirates, the Reds, like I think those are, are sort of the teams I'm looking at at this point. Yeah, like you, you mentioned teams that could fall out of the race. I don't think the Chicago White Sox are selling. I, I just don't see any way that considering where they are and their trajectory, things would have to completely disintegrate for them to, to sell. Maybe they hold, maybe they don't buy. I think the Seattle Mariners could be an interesting team. They are not good. We, we probably should have expected this considering 
their one run prowess last year that they were going to regress, but they certainly have. There could be some intriguing pieces available, whether it's uh, position players or pitchers or relievers. You know, the Nationals, I think the Cubs are some a, a team to keep an eye on. Like, I understand David Robertson is a million years old, but he has been really good and uh, could be, he's got experience pitching in the American League East with the Yankees, obviously, still throws pretty hard, still misses bats, leverage. We talked about Hap, obviously. The, I think that the Reds, the, there are plenty of teams, I think, already that you have a pretty good sense are going to be sellers. And it's going to be very interesting over the next, you know, six, seven, eight weeks other teams that are going to join the fray because there are going to be teams that right now are right on the the fence or maybe aren't at all in the conversation that lose their way into becoming more of a seller than anything else. Yeah. David Robertson. How, how is he doing this at the age of 37, finding the fountain of youth and uh, could be a guy that could help the blue chase bullpen for sure is striking out a ton of hitters this year, but as always, thanks for the questions. Uh, You can send them to us at DFA underscore pod. Finally time to wrap things up as we get to our Teoscars for the week player of the week, five nominees. We've got uh, Alec Manoa, Rymel Tapia, Jose Brios, Teoscar Hernandez, and uh, Alejandro Kirk. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like it might be unanimous this week. I would be surprised if you did not go with Alejandro Kirk. Uh, that's who I'm going with. Uh, the numbers just exploding off the page uh, during this uh, nice little run for the Blue Jays. Uh, talk about him maybe being the best hitting catcher in the American League, maybe in all of baseball with how he's swinging it right now. I, I just can't really go any other direction. It just doesn't feel right. What about you? Yeah, it, it's Kirk and and he deserves every bit of it. You know, racking up a, a full win in less than 10 games is just stupefying how good that is and the at-bats have been so good like he he hits balls high in the zone he hits balls low in the zone like you said there's just not really much in the way of a plan of attack to get him out right now his plate coverage is just so good and his discipline is so good so he absolutely deserves it I agree with you I am going to give a special mention to Tay Oscar, who I, I just, I love Tay Oscar. He's just, he brings so much to the table, so much uh, energy and excitement. And he's just a glue guy for this team. He just seems like such an important piece, obviously on the field, but in the clubhouse as well. And when he's going, it just seems like everything else falls into place. Everyone's got more pep in their step. He's got that smile on his face. He, his at-bats have been great. He's hit the ball all over the field hard. I expect more balls to leave the fence if he continues doing that, hitting over 400 over his last seven games, more extra base hits. He had a triple, hit a home run, doubles as well. He's been so good, and it's so great to see because he was really, really scuffling and uh, good for the Blue Jays to stick with him in the cleanup spot. And obviously, he's uh, rewarding them uh, very uh, handsomely with some really good at-bats. Yeah, we call the award the Tay Oscars, but uh, I'm not sure he's won one actually <laughs> all this season because nope. he was terrible at the start of the year. Then he got hurt, uh, uh, and then obviously uh, he's been working his way back. I shouldn't say he was terrible at the start of the year; he was good at the start of the year. Then he got hurt. Then he was terrible, and now he's uh, found his way uh, over the last uh, week and a bit here. So uh, great to see from Tay Oscar Hernandez. Great to see from the Blue Jays, who are at nine and one in their last ten games. They'll look to wrap things up with a series win again against the Minnesota Twins later this afternoon. As always, you. You can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at Jay Goldberg 12 for Josh. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening to the designated for assignment podcast. Great review, subscribe wherever you get the pod and we'll talk to you in a week's time.